Welcome back to another episode of The Blue Turf. This is Thad Bell from The Blue Testament. With me, I have, as always, Eric Bergerud from Park University, Comments Announcing Team, uh, many, many other things. I, 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 I'm going to try to come up with something new to say about him every week, but I don't think I can do that. Uh, anyway, welcome, Eric. Glad to be here. How are you? How was your Christmas, Thad? Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I, I was going to ask you the same thing. I, I, I think you did get a at least a Comets-related present, did you not? It's mounted on my wall here in my office. It's a it's a classic hot winter nights pennant. So I uh, apparently was very good at Christmas. Uh, appreciated all the comments I got on social media, and now it has a home. So it's right underneath one of two Lucas Sosa framed jerseys that I have on my wall here. That's pretty cool. I, I did not get a very comments related. Well, I'm going to say it was semi comments related. I got a Ted Lasso board game. Nice. So I, I'm expecting, you know, Ted Lasso to come back and help coach the comments in a couple of years when he's out of the premier league. So anything's possible. Hey, we we've already seen him at the game. So, all right. Uh, let's see. We've, we don't have games to talk about this week, but we have, well, we don't have past games to talk about. We have future games to talk about. Uh, another double header, but at least it's not back-to-back days this time. First, they play Monterey at home, and then they go on the road to play the Ambush, a very familiar team at this point. Monterey is only three games into the season. I think two wins and a loss, if I remember correctly. And I've only watched a little bits of their games. What have you seen from them so far, Eric? They're they're a good team. So for me, I I came into the season thinking Monterey and, and Chihuahua were the teams to challenge San Diego for the West. I still hold on to that, even though Mesquite has gotten off to a good start. If you recall that before COVID, let's call it the 2019-20 season, it looked like Monterey was going to run away with the league and then the season stopped. And so we never saw them hoist the Ron Newman cup. And then COVID ensued they took a couple years off. Some of their players played last season for Chihuahua. They brought in some old faces, some new faces. And what I mean by new faces, new faces to this league, but definitely not new faces when it comes to professional soccer. And so it's really interesting to see how this team is going to gel and whether they have what it takes to run the West, whether it's in the regular season or in the playoffs. Yeah. I was running down through that roster, just, uh, checking out the players a little bit and you know it was player after player who are not new players by any means but guys who have played in Liga MX guys who've played for their national team for their you know in the Olympics it's just talent after talent after talent on that team uh it's it's amazing that any indoor team gets that much talent from that high of a level at this point but it's going to be really difficult for the commas to face them. I, I, I'm going to see like, they're going to have to maybe use the youth and speed against them instead of the wily veteran moves. Well, and it's a mix of, of players with significant indoor experience. Think like a Brian Aguiar as one example, example, Eric Tovar is another example, but I, I'm already looking ahead because Nick Bassus and I do a pregame spotlight each game, one player on each team to focus on. All right, where do you focus on if, if you're Monterey? So for me, it's going to be Luis Angel Mendoza, whose nickname is Quick. And so you talk about players with 
with Liga MX experience. He's played with Tigres. He's played with Cruz Azul. He's played with with America. I mean, a, a lot of teams in Mexico and El Salvador. And three goals, one assist in in those first three games that you mentioned. One first star player of the game, and and I think that he's somebody that you definitely want to watch watch for because he brings quality experience into the indoor game but but as you said it's it's a mixture of a lot of talented players and for, for the the comets they only play four games against teams in the west didn't get the result they wanted at mesquite they absolutely have to get points against monterey and then we can get into st louis and i'll be like a broken record that the comets need points on the road if they want to compete for the eastern championship yeah, the Comet season has been uh, basically front-loaded with games compared to a lot of these other teams. They've already played six. By the end of this weekend, they'll have played eight. They'll have a third of their season done. And still missing players due to visa issues, which the last update was no word yet. That's kind of a familiar ring to that. So unless something changes in the next couple of days, they will still be shorthanded based upon some of those guys. They're also shorthanded with some injuries. I, I talked to Leo Gibson yesterday after practice, and they could be down to just three defenders going into this game with Monterey. So I was at scrimmage before Christmas, so uh, practice scrimmage, and, and watching guys out there in in uh, different positions as well. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Leo has to do with his lineup an interesting transition this year has been the the resurgence of Adain Sinclair. He got brought in, I think, ostensibly to be a, a an emergency target. He got moved to to the back line when Leo started playing. We saw him with a great assist in that last home game. It'd be interesting to see how many minutes he winds up getting. But but other guys combination of speed you talked about but there's some older players as well and how do you manage minutes yeah that's uh odane is uh i mean he's such a wonderful nice guy in person um on the field he's a wee bit slower than some of the other guys still trying to be very nice here and that's you know that's my main criticism of him is the the speed so hopefully the old monterey players and odane will match well for that or at least in the commons favor We'll have to see how that goes. But, well, the one thing, I mean, O'Dane's played this game for a long time. There, there are discrete differences between the indoor and the outdoor game. So experience can overcome a lot. And until uh, they get healthy on the back line, I think that, that Leo is going to have to get creative, and that may be including minutes in, for himself in the back line. We saw Rion Marks come back last game. He's not 100% but he intends to keep playing as long as he can. And so it's going to be interesting to see what Leo decides to do up front as well in the, in the back line. And the midfield, I think, is probably going to have to be where some of the points come from. We saw Nacho score two goals in that last home game, which was uh, kind of unusual for him. You don't expect him to be your leading goal scorer. Tetsane has been out that definitely hurts but but there are veterans on this team who are going to be expected to step up and uh at least the scrimmage i went to i can't speak for what you saw that but i saw people battling for time i saw people 
battling for the coach's attention. Oh, no doubt. Um, the little, I, I did not see uh, a great deal of the practice yesterday. And I, I don't want to give away too much of what I did see. Cause then I would tick Leo off. Uh, Cause I saw a lot of the power play penalty kill work at the end of practice. Uh, but I did see the uh, Sonny out there. So hopefully that means he's ready to return or close <laughs> to being ready to return. Uh, I did see a lot of, um, responsibility being given to the new guy, Chase Bromstead, which he seems to be, you know, still, he still has a lot to learn about the indoor game, but he's got a lot of talent and athletic ability and uh, saw him come inches away from scoring a bike in, in practice. So let's see, uh, trying to run down again. I'm not sure of all the injuries, but we know that Ray Lee has been out for a couple games. Uh I spoke with him on the field before the last home game. And basically what he told me is they don't want to rush him back. So I would look at him coming back in January, but not any sooner than that. And then back to, uh, you'd mentioned Rian Marks earlier uh, about how he wants to, he's going to play as much as he can. I talked to him yesterday also, and it sounded a little bit more like it was almost day to day. Like one day he feels perfectly ready to play the next day. It's almost impossible for him to play with some sort of, sort of pain. So it could be, we see him in one game and not in the other, or he could be ready for both or not ready for both. It's, it's not making it easy on Leo. I think what this means is Leo's playing more than he intended. That That's the ultimate bottom line is when he looks at, at available players, he has to look in the mirror and decide, okay, number 14, where am I going to put you today? Are you going to be playing target? Are you going to be playing backline? Are you going to be playing power play? Are you going to be playing power play kill? How do I use you? And let's just hope that he doesn't have to play six attacker this season. Uh, or goalie. That's it. Yeah, I and mean, honestly, with a shortage of defenders, I would probably like to see him on the back line because that experience and, um, you know, that that Monterey players may not have as much of would really come into play, I think, in this game and just have to rely on whoever he puts up top, if it's Rion or uh, uh, De Silva or uh, Felipe Abreu, Abreu uh, just any of those guys who could end up on top, you're just going to have to rely on them. And like you said, the midfield, We'll have to step up. No, thanks for sure. And I think what to expect from Monterey, I, I did catch the end of their win, overtime win at Chihuahua. This is a team that doesn't give up. This is a team that battles and, and they're professionals on this team. Not to say that other teams don't have professionals, but combined experience on this team is pretty significant. And so they don't show a lot of fear of playing on the road. They may look back and and want a different result at Mesquite, but Mesquite's been playing well. They Mesquite beat them two to one, first game of the season for both teams. But ever since then, Monterey thrashed Tacoma there, and then got a, a well deserved two point overtime victory at Chihuahua, and and that's going to be a battle every time they play each other this year. And so I, I think this is a team that will be competing near the end of the playoffs. No doubt. Looking a little forward to the ambush, uh, New Year's Eve, four o'clock game, I think, three or four o'clock game for us. And it's it's another, you know, two-day turnaround. Hopefully, you know, guys can uh, get healthy and they'll have he'll have some extra guys by then. 
the uh, ambush shows, you know, it's that familiar foe. You know, how many times do you play them before animosities like rise if they haven't already? Which do you think is going to be the key matchups in that game, Eric? I still don't think that's at the level of uh, animosity that Kansas City Milwaukee is, and Kansas City Milwaukee have only played twice so far. So, so, but but I hear I hear what you say that I think there's a couple unknowns for St. Louis. We don't know Kevin Ellis's situation. I spoke with him on the field before that last game, and um, he was going to get uh, more testing just to see what his prognosis is. So we'll see. He was hopeful to play on New Year's Eve, but a lot can happen in in a short amount of time in terms of the body's ability to recover. I would expect another strong game from Paulo and goal. We, we've seen that constantly from, from them. They do have um, Stefan Miatovic back. He was on a one-game suspension for the game that was here in Kansas City, so he'll be back. And he's somebody who not only is a, a strong defender, but but also can score from the back line. Speaking of scoring, we saw Cristo with a hat trick here. Uh, and and so they they seem to find players that that fit into roles there. And for the Comets, I think it's getting off to a good start, but also playing a consistent third quarter. The in recent games, not the not the the one this season, but in previous games there at the family arena, it seems like Kansas City's gotten off to a big start. And then St. Louis comes back there at the end. And so for Kansas City, it's it's four quarters of consistent soccer. And as you said, it's not back to back, but it's it's two games in three days. And so there will be some tired players and it's going to be incumbent upon the, the Comets to use that Friday to recover, recuperate and get mentally focused for the, the, the bus ride to St. Charles and, and what will be uh, an important game because St. Louis needs points. They, they have a, a tough stretch coming up too. And so I think every one of these games, you need to go on the road and, and figure we're getting something, which means minimum overtime, right? And if you're the right. home team, you don't want to give up that overtime because you basically have split the three points one way or the other. One team's going to get two, the other team's going to get one. And so it it's more of an issue of we have to defend our turf if you're the home team. And if you're the road team, you need to be mentally prepared to come take something back, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, if the Comets do get a lead in that game, it, it's going to be key for them to manage those that the rest of that match. The they've done well the last couple home games of keeping teams scoreless in the first half. I don't think that's they haven't been able to do that on the road. They haven't been able. They I doubt that they will be able to do that against Monterey, quite honestly. And especially if they are as shorthanded on defense as what what they could be. Again, I don't want to say they are because there's two or three players that could be back and could be ready. It's I will we'll have to see what shows up on the field. But just they're gonna have to be able to manage that. And that's gonna take some smart coaching and smart play by by all of the players, not just the veterans, but the the younger guys who are out there. If they can get a lead, they're gonna have to keep the ambush from having decent chances. No, I think that's right. And and, and in that game it's critical to keep your composure, keep your head. And so I think there there's this natural 
sense that it's a rivalry game. And so we have to be intense and, and usually that benefits the home team rather than the visiting team. And so no stupid blue cards, no getting into it with fans, no getting in it with anybody is focus, do your job and come back home. I mean, you have to think of it as a business trip rather than a war or a battle that you're, you're getting into. No, I think that's a good way to put it. Were you, were you thinking John Sosa on all those three points that you made? I didn't mention John Sosa at all. I mean, <laughs> I think all I've said about John Sosa this year consistently, Thad, is he's been terrific on offense. He's got to manage his time too because the expectations they have for him on offense, it's really difficult for him to be a two-way player where where he's can be as fleet of foot as a James Togba can be. And and so that's you know, ultimately his challenge too is how do I put myself in a position to do the best for the team? Well, I, I know you didn't mention uh, Sosa and that. I'm just a little kidding because if there's going to be anybody that draws a blue card f- or a, a yellow card for dissent, it would be uh, he would probably be on the top of my list on the team at this point. Well, I, I know some He's... St. Louis fans who have decided that Nicolau Neto is is target number one for their wrath. And so, I mean, for him too, it's how do I manage myself? How do I stay in the game and not let the circumstances around me dictate what I do and how I, how I react to situations in the game. Oh, absolutely. Let's see. Yeah. You mentioned Christo earlier with the hat trick. It, it is interesting that his, all three of his goals came against the Comets. Well, he was a quality player at St. Louis University, and I think they've taken a page not only out of the Comets playbook, but let's call it old Steamers, St. Louis Steamers playbook of how do you recruit your local college guys, keep people in town, and and build a a local team that way. And you know, I think about him, I think about Otto Yahich, some others where this used to be the St. Louis playbook is you would – you would either go to a game in St. Louis or they'd come to your town and you would expect this to represent St. Louis, not so much international flair, but, but more so the quality of the character of, uh, of that city. And uh, you see some of the players kind of in that tradition, but, but I think St. Louis got away from that for a while and it looks like they're, they're slowly evolving. Yep. As a I, I grew up in St. Louis and I actually played against some of those guys in youth soccer, I wasn't there. I wasn't their quality level to be playing up at that. But uh, so, yeah, I, I recognize a couple of those names back in the the 80s. Like, hey, I played against that guy when I was in middle school sort of thing. So, well, that's actually a good segue to a, a promotion that Comets have coming up in, in January. So January 21st, of course, against the Milwaukee Milwaukee Wave, it's going to be alumni and retro night. And, and so the Comets are going to do something a little bit different this year. It's not just going to be bringing back the Kansas City guys. But there's been intentional reach out to St. Louis and Wichita to bring back some of their stars of the past on the field. And so I'm, uh, I am have a vested interest that because I'll probably be the one doing the on the field interviews of players. So I kind of am curious to see who all makes it. But I've heard some really interesting names uh, being bandied about. And hopefully at one of our uh, January episodes, we can we can talk about some of the names and and what they did to soccer or did for soccer. There was just so much quality that came out of St. Louis in the 1980s. And not everybody stayed in St. Louis, but if you think about 
what that city meant to soccer in America, it, it's huge. And and I, I know that Kansas City has uh, declared itself the soccer capital of America. And I think it's because St. Louis hasn't had the consistent professional support for soccer that, that Kansas City has had. Yes, there were great runs there with the steamers and the original ambush, but the St. Louis Stars and the North American Soccer League left there in the 70s. And so the return of a major league soccer team to St. Louis in 2023, that's after a long, long absence. And so St. Louis in a way has to reinvent itself as maybe an original soccer capital of America. Yeah, that's uh and again, growing up in St. Louis area, you know, soccer was so prevalent and so you know there's so much history behind it and you'd always hear about you know the 1950 world cup and you know half the team was made up from st louis other half was pretty much from the new york area we never hear them claiming they were the soccer capital because of that though uh, but they produced so many pros at in in indoor and outdoor they they did have a couple of pro teams in since the old stars they had the uh uh, AC St. Louis, it was in the NASL that only lasted, I think, two years. And then the Athletica, which was in the previous women's league before the NWSL, was the WPS. There's there's three, there's been three mm-hmm. big women's leagues, and it was in the previous one. And they had uh, same owner, but it was kind of a uh, ambulance chasing lawyer kind of guy who did not set those teams up for success. So they might have had more success if that had they'd had a better owner at that point in in some fairness. But nobody has stepped up to bring a team until just recently with St. Louis City, which connecting some dots, we talked about the MLS draft last time or MASL draft last time. St. Louis City took one of the Comets draft picks, John Klein the third. They uh, selected him in the draft, and so he will at least get a chance to go to the to play for an MLS team. Well, we talked about that possibility on the last episode, Dad, and I, I think I added the caveat at the end. The Comets retain his MASL rights through December 1st of 2023. And so, yep. yes, he'll have an opportunity to compete uh, for a, a playing spot with St. Louis City. But if for any reason things don't work out, Comets have a, have an option on him or an opportunity to sign him in the coming year. And so I think for managing partner Brian Budzinski and the coaching staff, that was a calculated risk that they were willing to take. Oh, yeah, it was definitely a worthwhile risk. And it could very well end up that he signs with – if he doesn't sign with the first team, he could sign with their second team and play for a year. And if that's not working out for him, that's a prime moment for the comments to swoop in and say, Hey, we're guaranteed. We'll guarantee you a good playing time and see what happens. Well, and I think that's right. And and also uh, speaking of former St. Louis players, so his dad, John Klein, who's the current coach of Columbia college, he coached Nicolau Neto and uh, Neto and, and Lucia Tetsane. Another one of those St. Louis products came to play here for the, original comments and then went back to play for the St. Louis storm. And so there are all sorts of these connections, either bloodline connections, previous indoor players and potential or, or, or current indoor players, as well as the St. Louis pipeline that somehow managed to, to exist uh, over the generations. 
Yeah, let's let's hope that uh, connection would uh, bring him here instead of the ambush. Well, he can't get the ambush until the draft rights would expire anyway. But let's hope we uh, if again, I, I wish him well if he makes it with St. Louis. Well, I don't really wish them that much well, but let's I'm wishing him well in whatever he does. So so on that note, uh, I saw a, a tweet right after that that basically said St. Louis won Kansas City zero and said there's no way that Klein's going to sign with the Comets. So St. Louis fans are, are are trying to talk trash regardless of whether it's indoor and outdoor. And I guess the the banner is is good for it, but uh, ultimately it's it's on Klein to make the team and St. Louis to sign him to a contract. Right now it's just a matter of two teams have drafted him and, and we'll see what happens. Also, there was a couple other Kansas city guy. There was a couple of Kansas city guys that was not drafted. Um, I'm hoping uh, Bedzinski's on the phone with those guys and seeing what could turn out with them too. Well, I think there's opportunities that the, the advantage that the comets have over a lot of teams in the league is they have a consistent and proven track record of signing local college players. Yep. I think that, that, the draft in some ways levels the playing field for other teams who hadn't been doing this. I think the challenge for the comments right now is, is a topic that you mentioned earlier on is visas, right? And so the question is, as you look at college players, what is their visa status moving forward? And so you look at, at somebody like a John Klein or, or a Jacob Jones who was drafted from park in the third round. And so they're American-born, American citizens, no problem. And so this may change the calculation, not just for Kansas City, but other teams who similarly have been recruiting international players from the local college ranks as a league tries to get its visa situation kind of standardized all aboard is, is how do teams approach their, their college pipelines now? And and we'll see. Yeah. It's interesting you say that it will level the playing field a little bit. Those teams still don't have to sign those players. I mean, they they can draft them and still ignore them. Uh, it's still up to them to find the players locally from their colleges that are worthwhile and, and can make it an indoor because a, a guy, I mean, some players that will be a, not really super noticed sometimes in outdoor will be a very good indoor player and vice versa. It just, you know, the different style of the game. So it's still it's still incumbent upon them to find those players and work them into a team. Well, but I took this that not only the college draft, but before that, the the combine that was held in, in Mesquite in October as the league basically sending a message that we need to draw younger players attention and we need to to develop systematically across the league a pipeline for for younger talent. And so I think the league said, we're going to put the structure in place. Can you force teams to sign players? No, but you can absolutely set expectations, develop a culture where where all teams are expected to to look toward the future, and uh, ultimately the teams that follow that advice will be the successful ones. No, I agree. It's just I, even in like MLS, there will be teams who still take players from the draft, and there will be teams who don't care anymore because they're they're more focused on signing international signings and you know trades and guys with more experience they just don't and they, even with their even in MLS academies they there's 
there's teams who don't pay as much attention to their academies. They don't put the money into it. And, you know, you, there's just different ways to success for any, for any team, whether, which for any sport is develop your own or use money to sign somebody else's in trades and such forth. So it'll, it will be interesting to see how MASL teams manage that going forward. Why well, I think the biggest advantage for the Comets is the consistency Bazinski's been around from the beginning. Uh, I mean, technically he was away for a couple of years, but, you know, Leo's been around from the beginning. So, and uh, Stokic. So you have consistency within the team and that always behooves them to look locally. That gives them the advantage to be looking locally and bringing guys along. You know, there's quite a few players for the comma too. You know, I saw as a practice player and then two years later they're signed and then they play a tiny bit their first year and the next year they're like, Hey, these guys are really good. Well, they're not really good because they came out of nowhere. They're really good because they had that time to practice with the team and then get a, you know, some experience in their first year and then they break out. So, so that might be a good segue into what I see as a potential conundrum for, for MASL. It's, you can look at it as both ways. You have markets like Kansas city and now St. Louis, and and apparently San Diego, where you have an MASL team in the same market as an MLS team, right? And so there's a competition for eyeballs, attention, season tickets, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, these MLS teams have academies and they don't sign all their players to pro contracts. And so you see somebody in Kansas City like Chase Bromstead, who worked his way up through the SKC Academy, signed to the Comets. And at least the day I was there, that I can't speak for when you were there, I saw a trialist uh, with SKC Academy experience who looked really, really good. And so the fact that we're in cities like this, where they're developed pipelines, and not everybody is going to be MLS for, for a variety of reasons, there is some advantage there in terms of talent acquisition that you might not see in, in other MASL markets. Yeah, no, totally agree. And that's it. Uh, Bazinski and, and Leo will, I think take advantage of that more and more as they go along. Cause there's been a lot of good players come out of sporting Academy. And like you said, they don't all make the first team. Well, very few of them make the first team. Some of them make the second team. A lot of them go off to college and come back. And honestly, I, if if they go off to college, I don't anticipate they'll ever make the first team just because of they've lost a couple years of the opportunity to have played with the top level pros. So those again are the guys who are primed to be looked at by the comments and brought in and play for their uh, hometown team. I think a good example of this is, is somebody like Matt Lewis, who went through Academy four years at Fordham, came back, got a little bit of action in the SKC system, but ultimately uh, wound up going on a different pathway, played outdoors with the, with the Cosmos, played with the Comets, and now he's signed with with Detroit City. Uh, it seems like that's going to be his permanent home. But, but ultimately, here you have somebody who was academy-developed, four-year college starter at a, at a uh, you know, pretty significant D1 school that made a run in the Final Four. So there are players out there, and it's just a question of who's doing the scouting, who's maintaining the relationships, and, and how do you show the MASL as a, as a viable alternative for somebody who wants to keep playing 
post 22 years old. Well, and, and Ray Lee was the same. He was from Kansas city and was in the Academy, went and played outdoor for quite a while. Uh, and, you know, decided to come home and play. So it's, I think we'll see more and more of that. I would not be surprised at all to see Matt Lewis back in, uh, you know, I, I wish him a, as long an outdoor career as he is, he is he wants and, and can do, but I could see him back in two, three, four or five years and playing for the Comets being one very tough ass defender. Yep. So, all right. Uh, anything we, we missed that we should have talked about today, Eric, because we're running out of time here. Well, unless you have any new year's resolutions, I'm not sure what to say. I think it, you, you said it well that the Comets have a front loaded schedule after this weekend, one third of the way there, what I would, would caution fans is ultimately what you're trying to do is build towards the playoffs. I, I do think, because of the factors the Comets are facing, it, it, it looks a lot harder to project that number one seed in the playoffs than maybe it did on our first podcast. But ultimately, you want to be playing well at the end of the season. And I will say it probably in every episode, you need to show that you can win on the road because when it comes playoff time, you're in a home and a home plus an extra time game potentially, and you're going to have to win on the road one way or the other. And so that's the ultimate goal. Sure. Mathematically, can you make it all the way through without winning on the road? Yeah, but it's not likely. And so the Comets need to build toward a team that can go into a Florida or go into Milwaukee come playoff time and not just steal three points, but absolutely earn the three points and uh, those steps, there's quality games this week. Monterey's going to be a, a, a very tough match, and Kansas City hasn't shown consistently it can win at St. Louis. Win those two, and you send a message to the rest of the East and the MLS that you're a team to deal with. Being a little bit of a realist here, if they win those two games, that would really really send a message because I know how shorthanded they will be to win those two games. That would be a, quite a feat. Um, obviously I would like to see them win both games. That's much more fun to cover, you know, and I am a fan of the team and, but it's, I, I just have a lot less. Uh, I don't see that that's going to probably happen just because of the situation with playing the two games and, and uh, as shorthanded as they could potentially be. But it would be so much fun. So that's why I'm here with that. I'm the I'm the sunny, optimistic, rosy half of this podcast who who projects out just when. Oh, some sometimes you are the one who's uh, throwing water on my happiness too. So it awesome. goes both uh, ways, there, Eric. A little bit of balance. Yeah. No, no, it's good. But that's that's why. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons I like talking to you is because you are a realist. At a, at a lot of times and talk you know i'm saying wow well, they're hurt and you're like ah they got to play anyway you know that's their problem anyway. I mean, that that said i think uh this weekend we see a couple interesting things one monterey is going to bring ownership group and so it's going to be fun to see who all makes the trip uh up from from mexico here but i understand that there should be a decent number of comets fans making the journey to st louis too so hopefully they'll be loud and uh Hopefully this will be two great games for fans, whether they're watching in person or catching it on, on Twitch or 38 the spot. We look forward to calling Thursday's game. All right. The uh, 
I, I'm hopefully going to add a little uh, audio to the end of this podcast from uh, talking to Leo at, after training. So I will edit that on at a later point. So I didn't want to ambush Eric with audio he hadn't heard. And let's see, I, again, I like I said, I hopefully we'll add that on there before the end of the, the day when we get this posted. But as always, I appreciate you uh, joining Eric and happy new year. Happy New Year to you, Thad, and to all Comets fans and everybody else across the soccer world listening to us every week. I will most likely see you Thursday. I will be there. And we're out. When you have a, a little time off like this, do you work on anything specific for the other uh, the teams you're going to play against, or are you still focused just mainly on, on your own team? For the most part, we focus on us, you know, our task, what we want to be better at, um, continuing to be um, sharp, have good quality, good energy. That's that's mostly our focus. Uh, maybe a little percent of uh, the other teams, you know, most especially if you have back-to-back. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, when you have these two games, uh, a day in between, it, there's good thing we've played St. Louis quite a few times, so that's helpful, right? But if it was any other team we haven't played, then that's a whole different um, challenge, but yeah, for the most part, you know, we've been focusing on on ourselves. Like you said, you played the ambush a few times already. Uh, Monterey, though, they've only played I think three games so far. What do you know about them, and is there anything you can really, you know, scout them at this point? They're a really good team and uh, very experienced. Um, you know, Monterey is kind of like Chihuahua last season. They started off slowly, and then the next thing you look, they started gelling and they, they became a team to reckon with. So, you know, it's good that we're playing them fresh into the season, but they're still a good team. Um, still trying to figure out how to play together, um, the transition game, um, you know. But we, we think there are a lot of things that we can do good that will be to our advantage. Um, so, yeah, we're going with the mentality. I mean, they are coming here because, you know, they, they, they are in a position to they want to win. They need wins right now. So regardless of them being the first year in the league, like I said, they just have great players. So it's going to be a challenge. But, you know, thank God we're playing them at home. So that will be helpful for us.